Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out. Hey everyone, Aaron Noonan here. Welcome again to the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Repco. On this pod, it's part two of our sit-down chat with Jack Perkins. We had him in the office very recently and we had such a great chat with so much to talk about that we had to split it up across two weeks. Now, we're working together on the history of Perkins Engineering on a limited edition collector's book. You can pre-order it now if you head to the website bookshop.v8sleuth.com.au. It will be a limited edition run released later in the year, individually numbered, all signed by Larry Perkins, documenting the history of all of the Perkins engineering cars from 1986 and the first NZ Commodore to the last Jack Daniels Commodore uh, that was built for 2008 that led into 2009. We split this chat up, so if you haven't listened to part one, go and have a listen to it before you listen to part two. On this part, we pick up the chat with his return to racing in supercars in the development series in 2008, and he's rode back to the main game that included a move that some people might have forgotten to Queensland. We talk about fulfilling his dream of racing for the Holden Racing Team and, even better, winning for them. And we talk about restarting Perkins Engineering and the ongoing work with the restoration of a a range of the team's amazing cars. Jack tackles the National Motor Racing Museum Couch Racer questions and the V8 Sleuth Top 10 Shootout as well. So here we go. Buckle up. Time to start part two of Jack Perkins on the V8 Sleuth podcast, powered by Repco. So you go back to the development series. Yep. The Mack Trucks car. Yeah. Number, number 500, and appropriate number. There was a couple of little things, like I said to you, with the brakes and bits and pieces that I thought, I've got to get out of Dad's team. Yeah, so originally that car wasn't run from Perkins, was yeah, it? Yeah, we ran out of Marty Brand's independent race cars. Who had and won the title with Paul Dumbrell some years before. And yeah. Tony Delberto had driven there, Mark Porter had driven there. Marty Brand, ex-Gibson Motorsport guy, runs yeah. a great ship, really good cars. And, you know, it was the case for you, though, that you could – benchmark yourself somewhere else yep and so i sort of had the ability to take a car there and some sponsorship and start doing what i felt i wanted to do just get away from the team thing because you know i was kind of with that main game year like the cars were pretty even but if something happened where someone got something new you know shane was number one i was number two and i thought well you know a lot of people probably look at it the other go the other way around that jack's getting all the best shit and blah blah Mm. blah blah. i wanted to start just get Get, get myself right out of that and start paving my own way. And so that's why I said, oh, yeah, we'll do that with another team. And um, it didn't really work out. There's a couple of things I didn't really like about how the cars were getting prepped. So I just took it back to Dad's joint and worked on it myself for the last two races, which were Bathurst and Oran Park. And, um, you know, I felt like I was driving real good in 08. We got a few podiums. Things broke down a couple of times before that. And then that's why I thought, no, nah, I'll just run these last couple of rounds myself. Um, won the Oran Park round. And back then when you won DVS, it was $12,000 prize money. Ooh, don't tell the Super 2 kids that nah, these days. <laughs> I think it's only three grand now, but the teams won't won't tell anyone that. Um, so, yeah, like that covered my costs. I got a renter truck from budget and chucked the car in someone else's transporter and just got some guys to come give us a hand run on weekends and I got the best result, you know, by winning that, that Oran Park round. So I... I, I 
yeah, I was pretty happy with how I started to develop better as a driver, I think, because I was able to relax more with, with my diabetes and stuff. Like, um, And that, that, that was the, sort of the start of it, yeah. And that's the start too, not just your rebuilding as the driver and of you, but I think you've always done a good job of this, and I can see it because I'm a bit wide the same. It's a mosaic of parts having a pathway in this industry so you've got to have a bit of everything so you've got to be able to drive the car mm. but you've got to be able to prepare the car you've got to find some money you've got to you know lean on a few people you've got to have some contacts you know you've expanded into media and done a bit of tally and all that sort of stuff in the latter part of your journey but you've got to be a survivor you've got to make stuff happen in all sorts of parts of the puzzle that aren't really your parts of the puzzle but if you don't make them your parts of the puzzle your puzzle's incomplete and you're not going to go and do what you need to go and do yeah. so you I reckon that that point where you went, I'm taking my car out the door to go to Marty's and do some bits there. Ever since then, you've done that. You've you've done bits and pieces and welded it all together yourself. So you're kind of your own businessman, running Jack Perkins Enterprises for want of a better term. I think that's a, yeah. is that an official thing? Have you got that? No, I ran you probably the, should. You probably should. I did use that as an entrance name later on, but that's an, <laughs> that's another story. I will get to that. Yeah, uh, but you've you've done a really. I can see that that's the origin of kind of where you've evolved that part of your world from but um how so you drove actually though for for perkins engineering in the endurance races with nathan pretty and you finished eighth in both yeah philip island and bathurst so your mojo's back you've had some good dvs runs solid main game runs is and, and how do you end up at kelly's because your dad sells the team yeah is that part of that deal is it independent or how did that yeah, all come well, to be just it, the, the logical thing is people presume ah oh, jack's got to drive because the old boys sold the team yeah well going back the oz 08 enduros probably one of the best years i've done in the enduros with nathan because originally nathan was going to run with todd and i was going to run with shane in the second car and then i don't know what happened shane ended up running with todd which kind of made sense and then nathan and i were in the second car and just had good fun with Nath, you know. And How can you not have good fun with Nathan Pruitt? Yeah, and we still talk about it today. We still talk about eighth because we finished eighth in both. But I just felt like it was kind of happening easier, you know. We we just drove the car and finished good. And it was like, well, we can do this. And um, then I, uh, what happened? Yeah, ended up finishing the year off in the Jack Daniels car in 08. That's right. Yeah. So Shane Price part of ways. Yeah. So after the Enduros, I can't remember how it all went down, but long story short, I was in, and I remember actually now Bathurst qualifying because I got the nod to qualify with with Nath, and um, I remember that was knockout qualifying. So it was like the all thirty cars, and then twenty cars, and then ten. I got through to the second leg in qualifying, and then did one of my best laps that you know to date. And I got out of the car and my mechanic goes, good job, mate, check out where the other car is. And I looked at the time screen and I was 18th and Todd Kelly was 17th. And now I'm like, oh, yeah, I've probably gone all right here. Matt, you know, I looked up to Todd because he was from HRT and pretty good steerer. And um, so, yeah, I was just getting more confidence now and I sort of had a bit of beating with the confidence in 07 because we were just getting no results and just thought, yeah, no, I, I can do this. And got got the nod to keep in the, in the car, ran good at surface, didn't do too bad at Bahrain, and you know, then I double duty at Oran Park, um, and uh, then the Cali thing was happening in the background, and you know it was a great thing for Dad and great thing for Perkins Engineering because they had a fresh look on it. You know, Perkins Engineering was no palm trees and all that sort of mm. stuff, but kind of needed a bit of that. So 
Kelly's brought in. And part of the deal when Dad said, can you step in and f- – or the team said, st- you know, I think Todd had a bit to do with that, step in and finish the year off is you're in the car next year. No contracts or anything. Mm. So then the Kelly thing come around and we are all burning the midnight oil, getting all their cars done and working for them. And then, I don't know, it got to like January and they said, yeah, Rick and Todd are there and we haven't got any drivers sorted for the other cars. And I sort of thought, oh, Shit, I thought the only reason why I was here was because I might have got a steer. And then I don't know how that got finalised. Dad probably had something to do with it um, and got a ride. But, yeah, we we worked our backsides off for those guys that year. I remember stickering a truck at like 2 o'clock in the morning to get to the first <laughs> race. And um, But, yeah, that that was just ended up being a shit deal, you know. I had seven dudes have a crack at being an engineer that year. In what, 13 rounds? Yeah, seven different. Yeah, it's I, like one every two rounds. I had an engineer at Adelaide. Another guy, I had Dale Wood engineer a couple of rounds, and I had James Small for a couple of rounds. And well, then, he's done all right. Yeah, he was the pick of him, and then Todd realised he was all right, and he grabbed him. And like I said, I counted it once. It was seven different dudes had a crack at the radio that year, and yeah, it just wasn't really working out. Too hard basket. Yeah. So we've rebuilt a bit. We've had a bit of a yeah shitter. Oh no, he's not that flash. Yeah. You know, you're back. You, you, you raced. It was good, but it wasn't that flash. No. So then you go to Queensland. Yep. So is this a case of, I'm just going to get away. I'm going to yeah. go do something different here, change the scenery. So I'd started talking to Lucas Dumbrell at the end of 09 about running his new team, you know, driving and sort of being involved with it. And Todd kind of heard that I was doing it and then like banned me from coming into the workshop and all this sort of weird stuff and kind of told me I wasn't very good at driving and kind of all ended a bit weird. So I was banned from coming to the workshop for like the last three or four months. So I was... I was just sitting at home, I suppose, or working or doing something. I don't know what I was doing. And then the Lucas Dumbrell thing, it all turned to shit. Like they needed money and I've never been able to sort of have heaps of money sitting there to go car racing. So that all fell apart and uh, I had nothing. So I was up in Queensland or somewhere and um, Paul Morris said, oh, you know, our sign writer's leaving, do you want a job? We had no racing attached to it whatsoever. Mm. And I said... Well, yeah, there's not much happening down here. You know, I don't, Dad doesn't have a team and I don't, I'm not allowed to go to the Cali workshop, so I mm. might as well go and do something else. So he packed my bags up and started working at the driving centre as a sign rider. Mm. No driving? No driving. Not a part of it? No, 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 no driving whatsoever um, was even thought of until kind of a bit later on. Um, Slady, who, you know, Tim Slade's a good mate of mine, and he was running with Stone Brothers with James Rosenberg. And they wanted to chat to me about doing the Enduros. And Slade said, mate, you just got to try and do a race or something to show to Ross and Jimmy that, you know, you can kind of go all right. So James Rosenberg still owned the Paul Morris motorsport car called Jansen. Super cheap Commodore. Yeah, Yeah. and it was sitting at Morris's. So I said to... This is Jack Bergen's Enterprise, isn't it? This is Jack Bergen's Enterprise. Yeah. So I said like, well, man, I'm going to have to try and scrape some money together to run this thing. I said to James, "Can can I borrow the car for the weekend? And James said, yeah, well, you can't borrow it. you got to lease it or whatever. And I'll never forget James. I think he said, you know, give me 500 bucks cash or something. <laughs> that was the lease. Something like that. James Rosenberg's a fantastic guy. And uh, I remember going to the ATM machine, giving him 500 bucks cash. And super cheap. It was all stick it up. They gave me five grand. And I don't even know how I got it out to Queensland Raceway. I didn't test it or anything. And I ended up winning the last race and finishing second or something for the round. And Monday, Ross and Jimmy said, yeah, you can drive this lady. Job done. And that was it, yeah. 
cheapest supercar lease deal in the history <laughs> yeah. of supercars. Yeah, that was Jack Ferguson Enterprises. I got a TAFE kid to come and help me. Benny Grice was my little junior in the sticker shop. Yeah. He come and helped me. And, um, yeah, I, I probably, you know, snuck the fuel in from Morris's fuel <laughs> bill and probably pinched some brake pads or something. I don't know. but Got to do what you got to do. It worked out pretty good. It worked yeah. out. And, and you and – because you and Slady were housemates at that stage? Yeah. Yeah. So, Slady, myself and Anna Stone – all lived in a three-bedroom house on the Gold Coast. So Anna is Ross's daughter. Yeah. And Anna now is the sort of Channel 7's executive director, for want of a better term, of their motorsport. Yeah. So yeah. it's funny how everyone ends up in other places yeah, over yeah. time. So, so you know, that was fun, actually, because I'd moved up there and that's what I had nowhere to live. And Slady was only up there for a year before and he was looking for a place to live and he'd spent some time um, with the Stone Brothers and, and Anna and um, – we joked that it was a one-bedroom place, but I can tell you it was a three-bedroom place. <laughs> and uh, we're all still great friends, which is good. And the Enduros went pretty well. I think you finished top five, yep. six at Phillip Island. Yeah. So the, the graph's going back up here, man. Yeah, the, the best memory for me for Phillip Island was that was when both drivers qualified. Yeah, there was a race each yeah. on Saturday, yeah. And I remember going out in my session, and I don't even know what position it was. It was either fourth, fifth, or sixth, and one spot behind me was Todd Kelly. <laughs> and for me, you win many battles, and that was one of them. Right. So there's not much. Is that bridge mended ever? Oh, oh you don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have said we had a bad run. I mean, but just yeah, I've got yeah, I've got issues with the 09 year. But what's that? Eleven years Taught now. Yeah, yeah. I saw, yeah. I saw Todd at Bath. I said g'day. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. they've and done their life. thing, and I've done mine. So that's life. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. So, I'm, I've got a whiteboard next to me here. If I had a texture, I'd, the graph's gone up. Yeah. It's gone down. We got it up. We're starting to go back up again here. So, 2011, you end up in a Sonic Run Falcon in the development series. And am I, And I think you have mentioned this somewhere. I did read this online and I remember it at the time. Not many people would realise. A lot of people think Roland Dane's an ogre and he's evil and he's this and he's that. And he is a lot of things. But he helped you that year, yeah. which a lot of people didn't know. And he's helped a lot. And I know of other people he has quietly given some money to or some backing or some help that will never be known. But he actually helped you that year in a way that no one really would have known at the time. Correct. And if you want the clock back, um, I did San and uh, Philip Island and Bathurst with Slady with Stone Brothers. In 2010. Then in 2010. Then I did Gold Coast with Russell Ingle in 2010. Right. So he had Morris driving with him at Bathurst. That's right. Why, and that, why was so that? So he, Russ was having problems with the two seat, the two driving style seat positions and whatever. Because the dude else. was pretty tall and he was yeah. not as tall and yeah. And uh, so then I remember sneakily jumping down before Bathurst driving that car because those guys at Morris had started to realise that I was more than just a sign rider. And um, so then Russell was kind of like, well, yeah, I reckon I'm going to ask Super Cheap if I can grab you for Gold Coast because Slady had to have Helio, Helio Castro Neves. Because the international thing. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the Castro car of Murphs was the guy that copped the overseas guy because there was only one in each garage needed to copy. It was Ivan Muller. Correct. Mm. And um, so I drove the car before Bathurst. No one really knew. We s- snuck a sticker on the car. Horsburgh took a photo. And I knew before Bathurst that I was down there, but no one else really knew. So then I did the Gold Coast race and it was the first time driving a triple eight car. I was like, man, how long has this shit been going on? This thing's good. <laughs> like I was quick in co-driver session, just remember the car being great. And um, part of that deal with Morris was I'm doing the Enduros next year with Russ. I'm like, cool, you know. Grew up, love watching Dad and Russell drive together and 
guys like Murphy and Stephen Richards and, and, and Russ, you know, I wanted to drive with Dad. That opportunity never happened. So these guys were kind this of – This was kind of the next best thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So – I wanted to make sure that I was doing some driving throughout the year because I hadn't been full-time. You know, in 2010, I did three races plus mm. some Aussie race cars, actually. Um, so, did a deal. I wanted to get in a triple eight car and there was no Commodores around because it was kind of their second year in Commodore land. So, I knew Michael Ritter and we sort of and, – and Rodney Jane helped me out that year. So, we got into a triple eight Falcon and um, – Roland knew that I was busting my balls to get the money together and Super Cheap come to the party and Rodney Jane come to the party and Mick sort of probably rounded a few bills down instead of up to, <laughs> you know, Mick and Maria, great people, helped me out there. And uh, I think Morris's guys paid for my brake pads for the year. And so we worked out how we could make the year work. And when Roland knew I was close to putting it together and I guess maybe knew that I was a bit of a hustler, he said, uh, we'll take care of the KRA engine service bill for the year, which was probably to the tune of 60, 80 grand. Wow. I said, shit, that's awesome. What do you want in return? He goes, no, nothing. So I badged the car instead of Ford. I made these nice triple eight badges because I didn't want to be connected with the Ford. For the where the blue oval yeah. would have set the grill. So and Roland, I said, do you mind if I do that? He goes, yeah, but you've got to make it look neat. You know, triple eight's not associated We're not with about shit. Junk. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I got proper logos made. And they looked pretty neat, and I had a triple eight hat at one stage, and that was it. And so, yeah, mate, I've I'll never say a bad word about Roland. A lot of people do, but he's he's a great person and one of many that have helped me along the way. That texture on the whiteboard I got here, the graph's going back up here. Yeah, so I think you were Andrew Thompson was the dominator in a triple eight car yeah. in that series, the monster car. You were runner up and privateers cup winner for yep. the best, best uh, of the rest, the best <laughs> non main game team. Um, I think Sydney Olympic Park, the last round, you win the a race, the round. I can't remember you. Won the racing round there, and then Sandown, we won a race. That's right, late in the year. Wet qualifying at Sandown. I was pole the whole session, and, and I showed Chaz Mostert how to get around the track and wet, and he pipped me for pole <laughs> after the checker. Silly idea. And he was quite young then. That um, was his debut with FBR. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that year was good, but, you know, Andrew Thompson had a main game car, mate, mm. twin springs and all that. We we did pretty good with what we had, mm. um, and you know we were proud finishing second. I think Mick had finished second three years in a row. Like I said, Mick Maria, Rodney Jane, all the guys that helped us that year was awesome because then I did the enduros with Russ. The cars were pretty similar, except the main game spec was a bit nicer. And um, yeah, it was good. Every lap in under a minute, every move made to matter, every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars. Unforgettable. So at this stage, we're at 2011-ish, 2012. Are you now at the point where you... I think every driver has to hit that point. Uh, it's an acceptance point. Whether you, whether it's your decision or it's the circumstances of the world, that co-driver land, your land, and whatever else you can piece together in DVS or Carrera Cup or Aussie race cars or utes or whatever's going on is a bit of a bonus. And at the end of the day, you're a race driver, so your business is driving race cars. At this point, are you thinking, I can actually become a really valuable co-driver make this my core business in the year. There's three rounds in those days, 
there's only one now. And then I can supplement it with some other stuff. The Perkins engineering type thing has come up a bit later on with the restorations and that sort of work. Is it at that point that you make the conscious decision, I'm okay with the co-driver thing and I can build, it's still a good thing I can build or are you still trying to find your way back in the door? Nah, but uh, at that stage I still knew that I couldn't sign off on 09 being my last year. So at number 11, um, the techno guys were expanding to two cars and that's Roland said, that's you, mate. That's what you've got to push yourself for. I've told them you're the guy that they should put in the second car, but they need money. So I'd spoken to maybe Webby, but there was another Pommy guy running the Bruce show. Bruce Jenkins. Bruce Jenkins. Mm-hmm. Spoke to him a bit and was definitely in the frame to drive there. And it, I just remember it dragging on and the Morris thing sort of stopped because they ended up getting involved with DJR. Mm-hmm. So the Morris race team was shut. So all the guys that I was working with, my, my sign writing job was kind of gone. All the mechanics had sort of found jobs either at Dick's or Stone's or moved on. And I was kind of in lim- limbo mode because Ross had offered me a fantastic gig as a co-driver there with either Holdsworth or Slady for 2012. And it was a great gig. It was like the Enduros, get paid, we'll give you a swipe card. So you come in and work and you get an hourly rate doing whatever you want to do, like sweeping floors and he also said that um, you can put a DVS car together and do a round. I was like, wow, that's an awesome deal. So but I'm, I'm really trying to get in the main game. So we kept talking, 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 and then got to the stage where Ross had to make a decision. And I said, no, well, these web guys still reckon I'm half a chance. So I said, I feel like an idiot, but I'm going to have to say no to a Stone Brothers drive. Mm. Um, so then, yeah, probably January, February now, and then... They said, uh, Patrese's got half a million dollars or something to drive the car, and so I'm out. So then at that stage, a lot of the good endurance drives are gone. So I don't know why but I or how, but I rang Gary Rogers, and uh, Gary's great. And this, to be honest, Noons, is the first time I ever got paid to be a driver without having to work in a workshop. Just to turn up and drive. Yeah. Yeah. So that, to me, is a real turning point, you know, when you're- 2012. Yeah, you're getting paid to be a race car driver. So I, you know, went in. Gary had you had to have like five job interviews with Gary, <laughs> and he'd pull out a piece of paper and he'd be like, "Yeah, hey, when do you have your first Bathurst?" And you sit there and you go through all your results, and he's like, "Oh, that's good," and "Oh, that's not so good," and then then you go in and he gets Pierre to come in on the next one, the team manager Pierre Luigiorsi. Yep. And you go through all the same shit and everything, but I love I loved it. I loved the fact that this was like dealing with my old man in some respect. So where. Had three or four meetings, still no inkling I was going to get a co-drive. And I was at the footy in Melbourne because I've moved back to Melbourne now helping Dad because he said, um, you know, I've sold to Kelly's, give us a hand to get out of Moorabbin Airport. So, yeah, all right, I've got nothing else to do. Um, so I get a phone call from Gary. It's like 7 o'clock at night, first quarter of the footy. I'm sitting there drinking a beer, I think. <laughs> and Gary's like, yep, yeah, right this is the deal. You're getting paid this, this, and just, you know, send us an invoice. Every now and again, don't make it more than this. Oh, God, Gary, that's awesome. It's a good night at the footy. No one's ever rung me and offered me a job while I'm at the footy. Yeah, I said, oh, mate, I'm so happy. He goes, right, mate, enough of the pleasantries. We don't need to bloody sing around singing. Right, and he hung up like (laughs) 35-second phone call. And uh, I was wrapped because, again, at that point, it could have been all over, mate. It could have been all over. So got the gig uh, driving with Premrat. Premrat, we call him the Premrat. (laughs) Um, with He's Alex. a good Hawthorne supporter, Alex. Brown. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was kind of interesting, but I got to work with Krusty. 
Richard Holloway. Yep, Richard Holloway. And then that led to driving with McLaughlin in 13. First year car of the future. Yep. So you, you had a good little run there at GRM. Yep. Because didn't – was it the year Alex got benched on the Gold Coast? Yeah, but the weird thing was Alex got benched and Greg Ritter got the gig, but I'd drive, driven the car before that. Oh, because so, that was the international format still, wasn't it? So you weren't in the Gold Coast lineup, no. but you'd done – Philip Island and Bathurst. And I thought if he was going to get benched... Or sand out of Bathurst. And what happened was, and I don't want to sound like one of those has been washed up, could have been race car drivers, but I was quick, much quicker than Alex and got the nod to qualify the car. At Bathurst. Yeah. Yeah. And we were going really good. Those cars were strong, but I went out in qualifying and I had no dash. Like, I literally had no dashboard. So I was driving around, no shift lights, no nothing, and made a bit of a meal of it, but... In the races as well, like, yeah, Alex was kind of nowhere and um, that's why I got benched. Hmm. But I thought that I might have got the gig, but Greg got the gig. So that was, yeah, the last time in those cars pre-Car of the Future. So 2013, you co-drive with McLaughlin, who, of course, is having his rookie year and he's won at Pookie and he's done a, a, you know, he's made his mark straight away. I think... Oh, what was happening in those enduros? I'm trying to remember. There was electrical dramas on the Gold Coast. And yeah, so it kind of the their season fizzled yeah, later in the year. But to be it? honest, the car was really good. Like every time we drove it, we were really competitive. Scotty was in the shootout both Sandown, Bathurst, and Gold Coast. I remember topping one of the co-driver sessions at Sandown, being you know very comp- past Paul Umbrella in a race at Bathurst, and things like that. Like we were competitive, just strategy and luck and things just went someone else's way. Mm. I don't even know why, but, yeah, the electrical dramas of the Gold Coast, we were on for top five results there. Um, but it was all looking real good. And, like, I'd done all the COTF prototype testing with Scotty in 2011 for supercars. We mm. drove all the prototype cars. So I'd build a good relationship with him, and Krusty was still on that car. And it was, yeah, it was it was quite good. And to be honest, uh, you know, probably in hindsight, we were all a bit unsure about the Volvo stuff. Mm. and uh, the Volvo guys were at Bathurst and kind of thought it was probably not going to be a competitive option, which, you know, I got that <laughs> very wrong. But I also was working away at getting back in the main game, and that's what happened. I ended up getting main game gig and um, still fantastic friends with the Rogers guys. I can walk into that workshop and say good day to everyone and, um, you know, look back on it. And like I said, that's the first guy that paid me to drive a race car. Mm. That's an important milestone yeah. in anyone's racing career so charlie schwerkolt has got a falcon out of fpr under his franchise so for 2014 yep you bounce back in hang on i've got the texture on the whiteboard here we're going up yep. you're back in the main game how does that deal come to be how do you end up in that car for that year? yeah so it's off the back of the enduros and uh fpr had a formula you know from co-driver lap times and i was ranked two or top two or three in co-driver land from from the, those enduros and um, I had an opportunity maybe to do something with LDM through sort of Simon McNamara and Holden but I guess I didn't think that that was going to be as good as FPR and and I wish that I'd maybe kept my allegiances with Holden at that stage but I felt like the Ford thing was kind of what I wanted but it turned out to be probably a bit of a be careful what you wish for but um, you know Charlie's great gave me an opportunity to drive the car Um you know, it it was one of those things where I, I was working incredibly hard to get the opportunity. Um, thankfully, it didn't require someone to bring half a million dollars because the car was funded. Um, I did, certainly didn't get 
paid a fortune, but um, I was still working. Like I've, all the way through all of this, I'm still working during the week. And when you say working, what are you doing? Well, at this stage, I started to revive Perkins Engineering because Dad wanted me to give him a hand to get out of the Moorabbin Airport sheds. He'd sold to Kelly's. And then all these people were like, oh, well, hang on, I've got a Perkins car, I've got a Perkins engine. Like, what happens now? You guys are gone. So I just started doing bits and pieces with the business, selling a few things here and there. And, you know, we've got drawings of all the parts and just started doing little bits and helping Dad retire. And I never really had planned out what the next phase was going to be. I'd just been a signwriter for three years, so I didn't really know what I was doing. But I guess I just started doing more stuff and then... Someone I got to know really well, Dave Gardner, who's a, a Perkins car enthusiast, great supporter of mine, has helped me enormously over the last sort of seven or eight years. Um, he bought a um, 97 Bathurst winning car. And I said, hey, bring that down and I'll, you know, check check it over. And that's kind of where it all sort of started from that side of the business. So, you know, we, we ended up doing the engine and the gearbox and a bit of maintenance on it and getting it right to run and took it to the track and sort of started to realise that, that this resto stuff and old car thing, there was still significant interest and enough to maybe make a bit of a living out of it. And there's plenty of questions in our National Motor Racing Museum catch racer questions that fulfill that category so I'll, I'll leave that topic there because we'll cover it in in the questions as we get to them and we're, we're not far away from those um so the the charlie deal only goes for one year why what happened why yeah. did it not keep going um was it just a case where they went all right we're gonna make a change it hasn't worked yeah like the results were no, no good but again for me it was just be careful what you wish for. I kind of thought that I'd be able to just jump in and it'd be the same as Scotty's car from the year before when we'd be at the top of the timesheets. And again, it, it kind of wasn't, you know, um, I had a massive issue braking the car, like using the brakes to stop it. And then, you know, like I've never really flat spotted tires, but I reckon I would have flat spotted 20 tires at you. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. And we go to Bathurst where you don't really use the brakes and I qualify in the shootout. So it's like, mm. I'm obviously, my foot didn't slip off the brake pedal in qualifying. Yeah. So that was kind of frustrating for me, mate. We had glimpses. I think uh, Tassie, we were in the top 10 and a few other places. But probably I was just really, really struggling with engineer and fourth car, you know, not saying that we're getting dudded, but we're getting the fourth the best of everything. And, yeah, Charlie needed results. He was, you know, he was funding it. So uh, I got no malice whatsoever against Charlie because if I was in his position, I would have done the same. Mm. Um it just annoys me that I didn't get a chance to have a second year, especially if you look at the history of supercars when people started to realise aero made a big difference. If you were in a new model the first year after aero package, you were going to go good. Mm. So 2014 when I ran for Charlie, I reckon I qualified three-tenths or four-tenths behind Chas Mostert at the Grand Prix. The following year, if I qualified three-tenths behind Chas Mostert, I'd be third on the grid. Mm-hmm. When the FGX was up and flying. Yeah. Yep. And... All their problems from 2014 were just cured and FGXs were like Mustangs in those first years. Like <laughs> It's a good comparison. Yeah, like they were good and it's no different. The ZB came out good. The VF came out good. The Volvo came out pretty every, good. Yeah, every year someone worked out how to fudge the aero test a bit <laughs> and then they were, they were jets for the year Until after. Until they got right back. And I have no doubt that if I was there in FGX and a year after, my results would have improved. Now, I'm not saying I would have won a race. I'm saying my results would have improved. Mm, yeah, important and, distinction. And if you look at the, the times, it, the proof would be there. If you look at how far I was off Reynolds or Winterbottom, the following year, my results would have been much better. You talked at the very start of this podcast about when you were a kid, you wanted to drive for HRT. So, yes, you lose your main game. Okay, text is out on the whiteboard again. Graph goes back down, lose main game drive. 
Texter goes back up, signed with Holden Racing Team for the endurance races. Yeah. What was there anything on the table otherwise in fifteen, or was that that it? Because that's a that's what you. I mean, it's not the main game drive. It's not the the thing that you probably dreamt of. But it's the next best thing. So through twenty fourteen, and we've probably missed a bit there. Noons 2012-13-14, I was in New Zealand with Greg Murphy in the in the Super Tourist. Ebro, yeah. So that for me was probably the three best years racing for me going over to New Zealand because there was no expectations. The kind of like were, a club race yeah. meeting almost. Oh, we used to have a beer after the race in our race suits because it was just casual. And I just love going over there. Murph's one of my great mates and we had a great time. He paid me to go over there and drive his race car and I got to drive the 51 in New Zealand. Mm. And, yeah, the whole thing was fantastic. Where I'm getting to with that was he was calling it quits. He was James Courtney's co-driver. And he called and, quits a year early. Yes. And he, oh, I'm going to say he must... Put, put a word in for me at HRT. Because he had one more year to go as an endurance driver but took the tally opportunity yeah. in 2015 when the rights changed. Yeah. So he had a year left on a deal and, and left it on the table. And he, he told me he wasn't enjoying the enduro as much. He wasn't, it wasn't what he really wanted to do. So I think, and I'm, you know, Murph would probably clarify, I reckon he helped put my name in the ring to replace himself because he sort of knew what I was capable of in his car in New Zealand. And we got along really well. His kids, both his boys have got type 1 diabetes. So we're, we're, like I said, great friends with the whole family. And, um, mate, like I remember 2014, I went to Perth a week before the race and we had all this promo activity for the sponsors. And I calculated when I got home that week in Perth, I did 24 hours of um, promo, five hours driving. Mm. And it was about that point I started to realize I'm not, I'm not, I'm not enjoying it. Um, running, you know, 13th, 20th, whatever it was. If you were running on the podium and finishing top five, yeah. it's a different story. But, but, you know, when you're doing days on days on days of corporate activity and it's outweighing what you're doing driving-wise and, you know, you're not really getting paid a shitload for it. It was kind of wearing thin. So I thought, well, I don't really care about championship. I've never really cared about championship. I just want to win Bathurst. Mm. So I, I wonder thought, where you got that from. Yeah, so I know exactly where it was from Dad, but... I thought, how can I get in a car, especially having been in the shootout in 14 and been running fifth with 25 laps to go in 2014 with a genuine chance of winning the race and getting a drive through? I thought, I want to get in a race winning car at Bathurst. And what was the, what was the drive through? Because we, we sort of jumped unsafe past that. Pit didn't we? release. Yeah. Which I had three drive throughs run safe pit releases that year. So, um, Anyway. And it was Cam Waters was your co-driver yeah. that year, wasn't it? Yeah, a very and young Cam. And Cam Waters. drove brilliantly. We, we both drove great. We were quick all week at Bathurst, like I said, put in the shootout. We were fifth with twenty-five laps to go. We were better on fuel than Wink Up and Chaz, and we had track position over one of them. And I got to drive through, and both of those guys ended up, you know, nearly winning the race. One mm. did, and one could have. So that's the one that got away, mate. Like, everyone's got Bathurst. I got no. Stories. You could do books full of them. Yeah. But, yeah. but that, to me, realised Bathurst was the ultimate. It knew, proved to me that I was driving good enough at Bathurst to be a good co-driver. And yeah, James Courtney came up to me at Phillip Island in 2014 when I think Holdsworth maybe got announced early, or I got announced that I was out. And um, James said, "Hey, what are you doing next year?" I said, "Mate, I haven't even thought about it." I said, "But um, you know, I'd always liked James from." His open wheeler days and go-karting when I was a kid, I used to follow James Courtney because he was, you know, going to be an F1. And I'd always got a lot of respect for him. And um, he said, mate, well, Murph's out. And I think, you know, he said that you're the one we should be putting in the car. And 
I did a deal with Adrian and got a drive and, um, you know, for me then to be at HRT was, was, yeah, that was when the dream come true mm. and I was getting paid to drive for the factory holding team. And it got a little bit better. Well, yeah, it did. And the worst thing about that year was the fact that James got injured. It was a weird old year. So there was the Eastern Creek, sorry, Sydney Motorsport yeah. Park. I should get it right. A helicopter flies overhead on the Friday afternoon. You were there because you were doing the endurance co-driver yep. practice session. Some of the trackside garage boarding is word up by the rotor blades of the helicopter, smashes him in the ribs. He goes down like a sack of proverbial, carted off to hospital because he's bashed up. You step in for the weekend to fill in and stay yeah, until he can come back. So he misses, what, three, four three, rounds like that? Yeah, three rounds. I reckon Sydney Motorsport Park was the last one before the Enduros kicked off. So I was there, as you said, doing co-driver session and then, yeah, jumped in Friday afternoon, still not knowing what James was up to because I hadn't seen him. Mm. I thought he'd, you know, he'd be back in the next day. And then, long, long story short, got to run a solo main game round for HRT. I, I beat Garth on Sunday, which was fun. We had a good laugh about that. Um, you know, I think I ran 10th or 11th that day. Again, which the year before, and I was like 20th. And I'm like, hang on, I've got in the car that's doing stuff that I want to do, and I'm going better. So it was a bit of a sanity check. And then Sandown, yeah, James wasn't fit. So they got Russell Ingle in. Mm. And... That that was good, but I didn't want to be the lead driver because I'd just been the lead driver. I wanted to do <laughs> Here the, I am trying to be the co-driver yeah. and I'm thrust back into the main bit. But, you know, like Sandown, practice session before qualifying, I was the quickest of the four HRT cars, uh, qualified 11th or 12th. Again, just miles better what I'd done the year before and it was just such a sanity check because I just knew that something wasn't right the year before and couldn't put my finger in it. I got along really well with Alistair McVean. And, you know, I'm not one of those guys that tries to engineer the car because that's what the engineer's employed to do. I just, we just worked so well together and, and I, you know, I can see why him and Reynolds have been so successful. And, um, yeah, so Russ and I, Russ did a great job in his sprint race Saturday. I got taken out by Lowndes on Sun, uh, on my sprint race Saturday. We started last and finished seventh. And Lowndes started last because they got a drive through and I think they finished like 12th. So mm. we'd done awesome job. And then I was still hopeful that James was going to be ready for Bathurst, which he wasn't. So it was Russ and I. Again, I think we finished 10th or 11th. It was, it was pretty good considering. And then James come back for the Gold Coast and we won the race. Is that the best day of your racing life? Yeah, yeah, pretty good. Like, Hopefully one day you can top it. Yeah, you, get, you only ever get one first win. True. And, um, and you'd had a hundred and something races by this stage. Yeah. We did the numbers at the time. And don't get me wrong, like we weren't the fastest car that day. We won on fuel strategy, but it made up for all the other days where I drove real good or had fast cars and never had anything to show for it. And the best thing about James Courtney that day and everything was he was so inclusive. Of It wasn't him winning, it was us. Mm. And Which is a very important point yeah. because – Co-drivers get left out, yeah. particularly now that it's a distinct driver-co-driver thing for the last 10-odd years. Yeah. It's not two main bannerhead names together. The headline in the paper the next day will quite often have read, James Courtney wins yeah. Gold Coast 600, but we know it's not the case. Yeah, but I just remember every interview we did, it was us. It was us, and he knew what it meant to me, and uh, that that was, yeah, it was cool. I think that, my Bathurst podium, are probably the two, the two best, yeah. 
We haven't made you cry yet. I thought you were close there. I thought you <laughs> were close. I'm always close. I'm an emotional guy, It's mate. good. It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing at all. Got to be in. Well, it's just like got to be in tune with your emotions, Jack. More men should well, do it. You think nine years before that, I was told I was never going to race, and then I win a race. So it's pretty mm. cool. So you win a race, and you become a part of the Wild Control Furniture for the next what three, four, five years as yep. a enduro driver. You get to the podium at Bathurst with James. So you're there. You did do a bit of a filling job along the way there at Lucas Dumbrell's team. In yeah. New Zealand one year. And I did 15 Homebush. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. a couple of little, you know, you're in the scene. You can fill a seat here or there. Um, the other thing I want to ask, in that Walkinshaw period, you had some great results. You got your win on the Gold Coast. But there was a couple of questions that I had to bring it forward. You got the cool chance to put your old boy in a Walkinshaw Andretti United car at Eastern Creek for a, a Channel 10 TV story. I've watched the vision back. You look like you look now. You were beaming like a cra- – you're on the verge of tears, I reckon. Yeah. Because that was – and that was kind of a thing that you just thought, I'll ask the Channel 10 blokes, can we do this? And you created a really cool little family moment where – when was the last time he would have driven a V8 supercar? Yeah, a long time. 2003. Would he have – he would have tested no, well, maybe after he didn't enduro drive? Yeah, he's done the odd one. Like he drove one car clips all one year and a few demos. But no, sort of not in that opportunity mm. where you've got like a professional team running the mm. car for you. So that that was cool, yeah. Like I was doing a bit with Channel 10 with RPM and we sort of got asked to think of some story ideas. So that was for me one thing that had been bubbling away for a few years. I thought it would be great to drive one of Dad's old cars and stick him in a new one. And uh, – I wish we had more time at the track. We we were only lim- we were really limited with track time, but um, and we flew Dad in from Alice Springs because he was doing his own thing there. So it was a few sacrifices from everyone, but yeah, it's made it made a great story. Um, I was um, disappointed. The Channel Ten guys never bothered to submit it for a media award that year, which was just from being lazy, which was annoying because I I felt like it was quite a cool. Would have been a red hot shot. Yeah, but um, just a cool thing to do with your dad, mate. Real real cool. Mm. Mm. Uh, any lap records broken that day? No, uh, we the, most of the driving was kind of for filming, and then yeah. there's a couple of laps where we got to have a proper yeah. bit of a fang. <laughs> but I don't remember. No, I want to do another day where we get get some cars out, and Dad and I can just no cameras and just have a just good time. do your own thing. Yeah. yeah, totally get it. Totally get it. Um, the other thing is too now. So uh, we I did touch on it before. You've got a little girl. Yep. You partnered Tara. Where did you meet Tara? See. On the pod, we have asked people how they've met. Leanne Tanda was probably a bit more open than we had thought about with um, her relationship and when it all started with Garth. But I heard about that. Yeah. There's a bit of double stacking by the sound of it. <laughs> how did you meet Tara, your now fiancé? Yeah, so Tara was actually working for Supercars as Shane Howard, who's the Chief Operating Officer. Correct. She yeah. was his executive assistant. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, kind of through the, the racy world, um, James Courtney's friends with Shane Howard and um, spent a bit of time up there on the Gold Coast, always in between Bathurst and the Gold Coast race. And, yeah, we just just hit it off. She was hard to get, but uh, a great a great bird. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're engaged now, getting married next year, and um, we've got an awesome little baby girl. So Hard to get. Did she make it hard for you? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was months of chasing, mate. The chase, I was copping so much flack from all my mates about how hard the chase was. It was a fun time, though, you know. I was at any given moment trying to get up to the Gold Coast, and uh, it was great. Great memories, and, you know, she's top bird, and, yeah. Things that are difficult in life are the ones worth persisting with. Yeah, absolutely. Proof of that. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? 
Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. Mate, let's bowl into the National Motor Racing Museum couch yep. racer questions. We've got a ton of them. We'll try to be as, as quick as we can because um, I wanted to get through as many of them as we can. Yep. And, of course, you know the museum well. It's open six days a week at Mount Panorama, closed on Tuesdays, but it's the home of Australian motorsport history. There's cars, there's bikes, there's memorabilia, there's some of your old boys Bathurst winning cars sitting up there. The 95 winning car has become a bit of a permanent fixture up there now. The big bang of the 84 cars up there as well. So, And a few of the other cars over the journey have uh, wandered in and out that he's put his backside in. So I'm sure one day there's one of those things sitting at your workshop might end up up there for yeah. a, a little bit of a holiday. We can convince you to take it up there for the fans to have a look at. Uh, Thomas Paff is uh, with a new ball from the, the, the round weekend. Yep. Uh, Ask Jack if he could have any one of his dad's race cars to restore and drive, which one would he pick and why? So I presume with this we're picking something other than what you've currently got working on. Okay, yeah, well, my answer would have been the 93 car, which we've got and we are restoring. So that is definitely the answer. Um, uh, I always thought it would be pretty cool to get his last championship car, which is chassis 40, back and put it in VX trim for 2002 when Dad had his last championship year, not when he was the co-driver in 03. That'd be a pretty cool car to get back and restore properly because it got cut off at the front, turned into a double wishbone car with a Holden Motorsport engine. So that'd be a big day out, cutting the front off, mm. putting a Chev 18-degree back in and do it as Dad's last kind of championship car. Always time for a project down the track. Yeah. Got a bit <laughs> on your plate at the moment. Uh, of course, all of these cars that... Jack's talking about and that we've talked about and going to talk about here are in our book that we're working on, which is the full history of the Perkins engineering cars from the first NZVK Commodore right through to the last Jack Daniels VE Commodore. There's about 50 cars. There's some amazing engine material that you've dug out of the files that we're going to put in the book, uh, race results, rare photos, stuff from the workshop, stuff from our files from racing. Um, the 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 lineage of some of these cars is is out of control. So all the cars we're talking about are in that book. Uh, we're working on it at the moment. It's currently open for pre order and it'll be available September October later on in the year. It will be a limited uh, numbered edition. Sign all books are signed by Larry. Um, so it's one to really make sure that you have. If you don't have um, y- your name in and your money down, jump on the website bookshop.vhsleuth.com.au to make sure that you don't miss out. Anyway, that's the plug. Let's yep. move on. Miles Healy, regular listener. Um, we kind of touched on, he's asked about, do you recall the point going from a kid playing around the pits to be coming a member of the team, which we kind of did cover. Mm. But he says, I remember, I'm pretty sure I remember Jack selling merch at Sandown in 96. Did you ever work at the merch truck? No, uh, uh, I might have. Or were you selling some T-shirts out the back? Yeah, that- I had my own merch set up. <laughs> well, I remember- this was Jack Perkins Enterprises in the very early stages. Yeah, and I don't remember doing it at Sandown, but I remember doing it at Darwin, and I remember doing it for Russell Ingle. So he got me to sell a bunch of his old stuff, and I remember I gave him all the cash, and I made a lot of money for him, and- he paid me by giving me a Sony PlayStation, which when he would kid. That's, which, yeah, he got pa- that for free. I'm Correct. sure. <laughs> but see, my parents would never give me a PlayStation because they they didn't believe in video games. It was go out, kick a footy or whatever. Yeah, not you know computer games. That's all rubbish. So Russ gave me a PlayStation for for, for my efforts. I thought that was pretty cool. Nice deal. Nice. So deal. yeah, I, I, I it wouldn't have been through the real merch tent. It would have been through my own one. Yeah. <laughs> 
the, the early edition of Jack Perkins Enterprises. Yep. Um, Damon Gilbert, uh, obviously growing up as LP's son, was it awesome or did it have its setbacks in motorsport and outside of racing? Well, yeah, I wouldn't regret or it wouldn't change who my dad is because I can't, but um, clearly it was awesome. But um, it definitely presented some challenges. You know, I got a bit bullied at school as a result of it through times. Um, you know, then Just because your dad was a race driver? Yeah. You're crazy. Hardly a thing to get bullied about. Crazy, yeah. yeah. But that's, you know, that's life. Um, you know, and then when I started racing myself, obviously people expected you to be as good as, and we, we touched on like Dan Ricardo. No one had any expectations for him in an old 92 Van Diemen to go any good because no one knew who he was. But I was in the same race and, you know, people expect you to go better. So that's kind of the expectation thing, but it's an expectation versus opportunity. And I have no doubt I got a lot of opportunities based on who my father was. But again, you've still got to be the individual that drives it. And you've got to get off your bum and go and Correct. make it happen and write letters to Crano when you're a kid and yeah. take your briefcase, all exactly. that sort of stuff. Uh, Brenton Thorpe loves your work on the TCR TV coverage. What's your biggest challenge been in the media? Does it come to you naturally or is it something that you've had to work hard on? Um, yeah, it's hard. Like I've never really gone through life sort of thinking I was going to end up in the media. You know, I didn't go to uni or any of that stuff. So I find talking about motorsport is quite natural because I enjoy it. I mean, much like yourself, Noons, where where we live and breathe it. So talking about it's not a, not a massive challenge. Um, I guess sometimes interviewing drivers can be a bit of a challenge, but I'm not daunted by any of it anymore. I was initially, but now now I enjoy it. I've learned from a lot of good people in the industry, and um, I just enjoy trying to bring my own influence to the people watching at home. How did the media start? What was the first thing that got you? Rolling. Well, we used to do those like track sides with with yourself. Yeah. Um. So we can't get, even remember what we did. Utes. Utes. Or- I did a Utes with you live at Clipsal. We did post produce Utes. We did post produce Fujitsu. I'm glad you, I'm glad you yeah. remember all this. Fujitsu V8s. We did. Remember, we'd do a pre record at the track for the opener, and then we'd go back during the week. Which and- we, should, we probably should explain when we say pre record. So now Super Two's part of telecast. You watch it live. Live. Yeah. In those days, it the only round was Bathurst that you got live. Everything else was post-produced, so it was edited together. They filmed it at the track, edited it during the week, and it ran on the next Saturday afternoon or whatever it was. But myself and whoever my guest was going to be that would join me in the studio in Sydney during the week, in this case it was you, we'd stand there with the microphone at – where were we? You you remember. That was the Homebush. Okay, so we're at Sydney Olympic Park, standing in the gutters, in the streets alongside Dawn Fraser Avenue or whatever it was – Cameraman in front of us. Hi, everyone. Welcome along to round seven and da-da-da-da. Tell me, Jack, what you think is going to happen today. How great is this? Let's take a look at the track. And then we'd pick it up three, four, five days later. Yeah, in the studio. In Sydney. Yeah. <laughs> cut it together and then it'd run that week. So, yeah. so that, was um, pro- that was the first um, kind of really with you guys doing that. And then I think my first um, kind of live gig was um, Grand Prix 2012 with Channel 10. Mm, mm. They just rang, of- me, rang me out of the blue. Yeah. Did a bit of MotoGP hosting and yep. stuff like that along the way. And yeah. We've done a bit of stuff on Channel 10 with some of the event coverages of supercars uh, in recent years as well. So, um, And now you're doing a bit of the, the ARG stuff with, yep. with the TCR stuff. So, um, oh, we didn't get to this. Brock Schaefer, good question. How does the Audi sports sedan compare to the other cars you've driven? Because you, we, we overlooked that. Yeah. We sort of focused so much on supercars, but you spent a bit of time, a couple of years, driving this Audi sports sedan for um, – Johnny Goulet. Johnny Goulet in Victoria. Uh, weapon is yeah. probably the word that springs to mind. And that was another drive that I picked up because Darren Hossack had a speedway crash and broke a leg or both his legs. 
So I don't know how it came through Neil Burns, the engine builder. Long time engine yeah. builder. Yeah. So he was originally Perkins engineering employee number one or two. And uh, HDT engine builder, he builds the engines for the sports sedan that we're talking about, which is a six liter Chev, 740 horsepower. And Neil rang me and said, hey, would you be interested in replacing Hossack in the, in the Audi? And you used to always look at auto action and go, man, that thing must be pretty cool. And yeah, I got to drive. But the first time I drove it, um, it broke down. Um, and then over a period of a couple of years, we, we, I never lost a race. The only races I lost was when it broke down. So um, we, we improved it. We put power steering on it so we could change the front geometry more. And I love going away racing with that. It was good fun. Um, Johnny Goulet is a fantastic guy, big supporter of sports sedans and motorsport. And, um, mate, that car, like I did minute 26 around Phillip Island, 300 kilometers an hour down the front straight. <laughs> it's quick. <laughs> so in terms of his question, how does it compare? Pretty oh, yeah. well. Sorry, yeah. Um, very well. It's got a lot more power than a supercar. It's got a lot more aero. Um it doesn't jump the curbs like a supercar. So at places like Sandown, it's not as quick through the corners because you've got to take the long way around. Mm. Um, but, yeah, really cool car to drive. And, you know, I was, yeah, again, I think we won over 30 races in that car. And sports sedans when I was growing up with watching guys like Des Wall and that was, mm. you know, won two Des Wall trophies driving that car. So, yeah, I'm really proud of what we achieved in that. Was that the car that had been the Saab? No. It was a, a new car. New car, that. yeah. So yeah. I think the Saab got sold to someone else. Mm. Because those sports sedans do find amazing ways of yeah. being rebirth and having yeah. very, very long racing lives. And some of them a bit dangerous, but um, yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. A couple of questions I've got here that we've kind of covered. Luke Farrell asked, did you feel you entered the main game too early? We sort of yeah. covered that off. Uh, Sean Gibson said, um, how hard was it to keep your racing license after the diabetes? We've sort of talked about yeah. that. Um, Nathan Turley, every driver's got a sliding doors moment. What was yours? We've kind of had a couple there's, along there's the journey. There's a few of them, yeah. There's a few, um, which probably leads to another point. Any deals you turned down or that you didn't tell anyone about or that no one knew about along the journey that you, if you'd... Uh, well, I feel like that Stone Brothers one was quite quite a good opportunity, even just as a co-driver. But, um, you know, when I was watching Ambrose and that, you never, like, they all kind of took over from HRT, being the top team. So then when you get an opportunity where those guys are ringing you and wanting you to drive for them, you go... Yeah, or maybe I am an accomplished mm. kind of race car driver. So that was probably one of the annoying ones. And, you know, I mean, I wish I had a chance at that techno second car, you know, with Roland's endorsement um, and stuff like that. So, yeah, there's probably a couple of them. But mm. that's, that's life. Yeah. That's how it is. Um, oh, David Tomic, this is good. What do you enjoy most these days, racing, TV work, or rebuilding the old race cars? That's hard. Yeah, I, I kind of enjoy them all, and the fact that I'm flexible get, gives me the opportunity to do them all. I love going to work. I go to work at 6 o'clock every morning and work on these cars um, when, you know, when I'm in Melbourne because I do spend a lot of time on the farm. But um, racing's good, but we don't get to do a lot of the driving. Mm. You know, if you're, if you're a supercar driver, you get to go testing four days a year, and the rest of the time... So you just don't do a lot of driving. So it gets frustrating because all you want to do as a driver is go driving, but you don't do a lot of it. So, you know, I got to go and do the ride day at Sandown the other day, and I sat in the car for three or four hours in the Erebus car. just love driving the car, especially that track. Like, um, So I guess I like doing them all equally as long as there's, you know, you're successful at doing it, I suppose. Yep, that makes sense. Uh, Mark Pickley, are you the person who replies to the Perkins Engineering questions on Facebook? Yes. 
You run the page. It's all you. Yeah. No one else helps you. No, like some people think it's dad, I think. But he, he wouldn't, wouldn't know how to turn a computer, would nah, he? Nah, it's funny. I, I, don't, I don't think I refer to myself in third person or anything, so. I might be guilty of having done that. <laughs> the sleuth says. Yeah. The- <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Dave uh, Dukas, and sorry if I'm massacring some surnames here, um, always hard to make sure I get them right or wrong. He says he loves the engineering on race cars. Um did your dad teach you everything you know or did you kind of pick it up your own way or a bit of both? bit of both. Because he's um, actually said too, did you do an apprenticeship or uni, which we sort of yeah. talked about. Um, so what advice could you give young people looking to sort of be in the engineering and the mechanical side? Well, like in motor racing, it used to always be just get a job and progress, you know. So guys like Robbie Starr, for example, and Jeff Gretsch and that, you know, and I don't mean this to discredit them, but they're not engineers by trade. They, no, they, Robbie's a boilermaker by yeah. trade. So they work in the industry, they pick up the skills, and then you have a brain, and then you you know you you can become or classified as an engineer. So for me, like I said, I got into engineering at university. I felt I didn't need to learn how to build a bridge or you know how concreting worked or anything because I just didn't need to know anything about that. I wanted to go car racing, so I didn't progress there or didn't do that. But in two thousand and six, I actually started a trade as a diesel fitter. And I was working in sub-assembly under a guy by the name of Barry Abbottmeyer, who, again, started with Dad when he started. He was, if Neil Burns was employee number one, Baz was number two, but I got a feeling it was the other way around. And Barry's wealth of knowledge, again, he, he did his apprenticeship at Caterpillar, but became basically a race car guru, gearboxes, brakes, clutches, and then an engineering mind as well on how to tune race cars. So to this day, I'm still learning from him. And I did a year under him in sub-assembly before I jumped into the main game and stopped kind of working in that department. But, you know, I definitely learned some off Dad, but I learned a lot off Baz and, and a couple other guys in the business. Hmm. Stephen Brennan, another good question. Are you going to sell the Bathurst winning cars or the cars you restore? Are you going to hang on to them and hand them on to your kids or what's the future plan? Well, for? Uh, we actually really haven't thought about it because we haven't finished them, you know. A lot of people go, what are you going to do with it? It's like, well, just let us finish. And then we'll worry about and it. I want to drive it and I want <laughs> Dad to drive it and, you know, I'd love to get Greg Hansford's sons down to drive the car as well. So until we do all that, any afterlife plans are non-existent. Um, Dad really never hung on to cars like, you know, like a Dick Johnson or someone did with a museum so it would be great if we can get to the end of it probably from a financial point of view and hang on to a couple Mm. of these cars would be great for those who don't know the specifics we're sort of going with a little bit of um, presumed knowledge here but you're restoring two cars currently at your workshop um, here in Melbourne one of them is the 1993 winning VP Commodore that your dad and Greg Hansford drove to victory that year the other car is the Bathurst car from the next year the, the 94th car that Larry won his first, had his first touring car championship win at Lakeside in 94. So, uh, sister cars, though, I think Chassis 17 is the 93 winner, Chassis 19 is the um, 94 car. So, there was a customer car in between, hence why the numbers are, are one apart. So, they're the two cars that were, you've got all your focus and your energy and going into. And the Walkinshaw car, too. We're going to get to that. Okay. I haven't forgotten that one. Oh, yeah, I haven't yep. forgotten that one. So, that's coming up. Don't, okay. Don't, don't, go, don't jump ahead on me here. Sorry. I've got a couple more in between. So, th- they're the two cars that you're restoring. Where are they at? How challenging have they been? Give me your executive sort of summary on those the restorations of those cars. Yeah, and a lot of people don't understand. Because it, it takes a long time. Yeah, and we're not completely full-time, but um, I got the – both cars were about 2016, and we've been restoring them basically since then. So a VP Commodore 
eventually all most of them got res- up, upgraded to VRVS. So we had to backdate them, which is like a lot of fabrication work, um, parcel shelf, recorder panels, a lot of chassis repair work because one of them was still pounding around in Victorian sports sedans. Um, Chev engine out, holding engine back in and so on and so forth. Long story short, I think cars are looking pretty good to be ready this year. Definitely the 94 car because the engine's ready and most of the most of the bits are there. Um, and then the 93 car won't be far behind. So literally this morning I finished off the boot in the 93 car just with all the breather lines and the oil lines and power lines and um, stuff like that because the battery's in the boot. And the 94 car, the boot's nearly finished. Interiors are getting pretty close. Engines in the 94 car. Engines currently sitting in the 93 car, but it's got to come back out to go and get dynoed. We're just finishing off some stuff. We had a little bit of stuff up with the exhausts. So we're finishing exhausts off. And then the big ticket things to do is still front suspension. So the struts, we still utilize a road car strut knuckle, which is a VK Commodore. And they got upgraded for various shock absorbers over time. So we're putting them back in, which means they need Bilstein tubes. There's quite a lot of fabrication work going on them. So once the struts are done, they'll be then in the car and then we're on the home stretch. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it's going to be sad when they're finished because I've been kind of, I've been with them longer than Tara. But um, <laughs> they, uh, they are, you know, going to be such well-restored cars that... Um, I wouldn't want to put a scratch on one. And and because you've had to retro the cars from the newer model backwards, so you've had to go and source panels from donor cars. You've had to go and find new old stock. You, is there anything that you haven't been able to find that you've had to take a shortcut on because it's not available, you can't get it, they don't make it anymore? Uh, is there anything in that regard or everything's been pretty much, if it's not original, it's from the same manufacturer or it's the right spec or the right era. Yeah, and that's a thing where we had to be very careful that we weren't turning these cars into replicas, but we searched everywhere, predominantly for the VP bodywork, and we worked out there was, I think, 11 Perkins Engineering VP Commodores that got converted to VRVS. Couldn't find one original second-hand front spoiler, rear wing, dashboard, Nowhere. Rang, you know, Rosenberg, Mark Poole, John Trimble, Chris Murden. No one has any recollections where the VP stuff went, so it's either in the tip or someone's got it hanging up in their man cave. Could be a bit of both. So we, you know, and that's one of the main reasons I set up a Facebook page was to create a community of conversation. And, uh, yeah, so we had to get our original composites guy who started with Dad on the solar car did the HDT Big Banger body kit, been around a long time, Richard Struthers, great guy. He made us two brand-new front spoilers, two brand-new rear wings, a um, couple other bits and pieces we needed. But then bodywork-wise, everything's new old stock, which has been incredibly hard to find, but nothing like a counterfeit Chinese, nothing on the cars mm. Is, mm. Is, is anything other than an original GM. And the other big difference between these two cars is that the 93 cars, the Holden yeah. engine, the 94 is the Chev when Larry went, oh, I'm going to have to go Chev. I yeah. don't really want to, but oh, they're making So it's the it. last time a Holden engine has won Bathurst. The so, 1000, yeah, yeah. Plenty of other Holden cars have won, but they've had Chevy motors in them. So it's, yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a really cool car. It's very cool because it's the first Bathurst win that I ever saw. Yeah. 93 is the first race I went to. Oh, yeah, yeah good. So I stood on the grid on pit straight in line with, I think, the second row of the grid, and I've, I just... You know, when you're a kid, stuff is burnt in your brain cells. So 
It's Larry and Scaife in the Winfield car on the front row. It's Thomas. You've got to listen to the Thomas pod, by the way, the listeners, Thomas if you pod haven't. Is great. Thomas Mezzera, and I will say Mezzera from now on because that's how you say his name. Correct. Correct. <laughs> you did say shitbox earlier, and I was going to take the <laughs> Thomas line on it. Uh, Brad jo- uh, Wayne Gardner, Thomas Mezzera on the second row. Uh, yeah, after that, I'd have to look it up. But uh, yeah, th- to me, I love that that car's being um, rebuilt, restored, and coming back because I was there the day and um, stood under the podium afterwards. And I was there in 94 too. Yeah. When. Uh, when LP finished third in, yeah. that, in that other car. So uh, anyway, back to the questions. Yep. We'll, we'll race through them. Um, Justin Olden, he's keen to know how Perkins Engineering works today. Is it a business? Is it a hobby? Is it a business slash hobby? What would you categorise uh, it as? Because well, it's not an actual race team as it yeah. once was. But- yeah, so I, I, you know, when people ask, we're, we're an engineering business because that's what we are. Um, I've got a fabricator that's two days a week with us. He's an original fabricator from Perkins Engineering. Um, Barry Abbottmeyer, who I spoke of, still does a little bit of bits and pieces for us as well. So we we don't necessarily advertise that we're looking for work. And I get a lot of people speak to us about, you know, building a road car engine and this, that. And we're not really doing that at this stage. Kind of toying up what I do with the business moving forward. But at this stage, I want to restore these two cars, and and we're we're assisting Johnny Alcorn, um, who's a fantastic guy, LK Air Conditioning, um, who used to run a car for for his his own driver, David Adard. He's restoring small Perkins cars as well. So we've got a great little customer base where we we make some parts for people and and help with their restos. And I've got guys running in Perth with cars as well, and they seem to crash into each other a bit. <laughs> so we make them bits, but. Um, at this stage, yeah, we're, we're just a, a little business doing a few little things for, for some old customers. And you never know where it might go. Yeah. Oh, and like, we've got a website. I, I flog, flog a few T-shirts and hats and bits and pieces. Mm. And again, I set that up to try and get rid of a bit of stuff that we had left over. Um, I'm not set up like a shop. Like I don't let people – no one can ring up and come walking through the aisles because yeah. it's not really set up like that. But yep. I inventoried everything we've got for sale. You know, I still get people ask me, if we've got VL twin throttle bodies for sale, it's like if it's not on the website, it's actually not for sale, and it probably means we don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very simple way of yeah. being able to describe it. Uh, Jeff Bishop, this is good. Selling your dad's autograph at school, true or false? I don't reckon I sold it, but I worked out how to draw it and write notes to get out of stuff. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Thought you might have had a bit I, of a Russell Ingall spec merchandise tent going on at school with your dad's signature books. No, I can do a good Larry Perkins and a good Russell Ingall autograph. Stephen Johnson can do a ripper Dick Johnson and John Bow. One time him and I were at an autograph session, all of a sudden Bow, Johnson, LP and Russ were all signing autographs and there's only two of us there. It was hilarious. <laughs> but um, yeah, I do, I do a pretty good LP autograph. It got me out of a bit of shit at school. I'm sure you weren't in that much shit. Michael Burson. Now we're getting to this bit. Ask him about the HRT car he bought and is restoring, and what are your plans for it? This is, and he cheered you and JC on trackside when you won on the Gold Coast in 2015. So oh, good man! The car that you and James drove to victory, the VF Commodore HRT car, you've got that at the workshop now. Yeah. So when we first won the race, not long after, I thought, man, it'd be bloody cool to buy that car one day and own that car. Um, yeah, because it was a HRT car. Because I wanted to drive HRT, I got to drive my own race in that car with only my own name on the window and i inquired with adrian and he wanted like the adrian na- burgess yeah adrian burgess yeah, who was at walker yep. at the time yep. and he wanted the net foreign debt for the car like <laughs> it was like half a million dollars and i just thought well while he wants that kind of money for it it'll never sell so that's encouraging <laughs> so <laughs> i gonna get away from yeah there. so then a couple of years later again I, I i think i asked every year i was there how much and it just come down a little bit each year and uh got to the point where 
um, that seemed seemed right, and I got in on it with someone else, um, and and we bought it without an engine, um, and you know we got the original sign writer to put the right stickers on it, and we've done a bit of work to it, just finish it off. Got an engine now. We just put the engine in not long ago. Um, finish off a few of the jobs, and I reckon we'll have that hopefully ready to hit a track pretty soon. And then I want to, yeah, I, I might like I said to you before, if we can. I want to go to Winton maybe with the 2003 car and that car and Dad and I can pan around in those two because when Dad drove that 2003 car that I restored at Phillip Island, he was complaining that it was handling shit out. So I put another setup in it, which got the Bathurst set up out of the car because I restored it to Bathurst and I've put a bit more of a Winton sort of current tyre. I think the tyres changed a lot since then as well. So I put a current setup in the car and... Just want to go and have a bit of fun. Mm. So I think that's what we'll do yep. with that with that car. So is that the same engine that you well, ran Would with? you believe the same engine I won with? We blew to smithereens at Bathurst in 2018. All oh, right, but I have the blown up engine. All oh, right, okay. So I got the Walkinshaw guys to throw that in because I knew that it needed the right engine. But the new engine has like five holes in the block and a hole in the sump. So uh, that because that difficult. blew up at Bathurst. So then we got another engine which was in that car and in a few of the cars, but. Long story short, the race-winning engine, no one's ever going to have. Yeah. <laughs> but I've got it, so it'll actually I'll, – I'll make a nice little trophy out of that one day because it's quite funny. That sounds cool. And we, we didn't touch on the, the VY, the, the 2003 car that you've restored already. That's finished and done, and your old boy drove it at the Phillip Island Historics last year before COVID hit. So that's the car that he had his last Bathurst in in 2003. He shared with Steve Richards, chassis 41. That's the car you were driving when you hit Scaife. Yeah. It's his last bath. It's yeah. your first. You could you could not have planned that. I know. And um, we when we restored that car, when Dad crashed it at Bathurst in 03, it got a bit of damage to the tunnel, which stayed there. And then when I crashed Scaife, it got some internal damage that stayed there. And then when I restored the car, I got rid of the Scaife damage and left the LP damage. Well, Be- get, getting rid of your uh, witness well, mark. <laughs> yeah, but just a true restoration, you know. Yeah, like yeah. Um, Dad's, we restored that car to how it was Sunday morning after the boys did an all-nighter. And that From damage, the crash. Yeah, and that cutting, damage yeah. was there, but the Scaife damage wasn't. Yeah. So I, I had to get rid of that. Fair point, fair point. So you've... You've been a busy man with with restos and stuff like this, so Michael will be thrilled to hear that yep. about the the HRT car. Uh, Corey State always asks a food question just to keep you on okay. your toes. Do you prefer pies or sausage rolls? Um, yeah, I'm going to say pasties. <laughs> it's not one of the options, but you've given us. <laughs> I like I like a pasty, but if I have to pick between pie and a snag roll, I'd say snag roll. Yep, fair point. Rob Kingston, of all the cars, which Perkins car would you like, like to get behind the wheel of that wasn't? One of the ones you've got, or going to have, or going to restore. Anything well, else I, from history that you would have liked? To I am go? looking forward to driving the '93 car, which is no, no, it's not following yeah, your lines yeah. question. But the other one I want to drive is the VL that uh, we, we did a little bit of work on restoring the chassis ten, the Bob Jane Teammates car, and the guy who owns that car has is finishing off the the rest of the restoration. So we did a fair bit on it, and he's done a fair bit on it. I'm looking forward to driving that. That'd be quite cool because I've I've driven a VN. Um, I've driven a VR, I've driven a VS, I haven't driven a VP yet, and I haven't driven a VL, so I'm keen to tick all the boxes. A few boxes yeah. to tick. A couple that came in off Twitter as well. Garth Tander asks, <laughs> why the nickname Gossie? <laughs> That's I, his nickname. I, do you call him Gossie or does he call you Gossie? What's the go? Well, actually, I call him Gossie, he calls me Gossie, and the same with Winterbottom. I call him Gossie, he calls me Gossie. When I was teammates with both of them, whoever got changed in a race suit first, 
where you'd always say that they'll get changed too early and then John Goss always walks around with his race suit on. So that's kind of where it comes from. So whenever you see one of them in a race suit walking to a photo shoot or something, it's always like Gossy. So for all the fans, if you see them at a racetrack yep. in their race suit, Gossy. let a Gossy out yep. and that'll get their attention yep. if you're trying to get an autograph or something. That's uh, that's cool. Uh, Zane from Twitter, last one. I know we've gone through it. This has been a big record session, so thanks for sitting around. What's your favourite memory of going to Bathurst when your dad was racing? I think just the whole week. Like, yeah, there's not one particular nah. win or year. Oh, or winning, car. winning, 100 winning. I mean, I wish I was, um, I wish I was older when they won. You know, to go and have a beer at the pub <laughs> type thing, but definitely winning. Just, I mean, the amount of effort my old man used to put into Bathurst. You know, he, he the weeks before the race, he wouldn't get home till nine o'clock at night. You know, we wouldn't see him. So, just to see it all pay off and. Um, yeah, pretty proud of the three wins that, that that Dad was able to achieve. One day, you might just add another yeah. one there. You're not done with it yet, mate. Good chance this year at Erebus. Yeah. Got uh, got a good young bloke there to steer with in Will Brown. So it's not done yet. You're not no. done yet. Uh, I know we have covered a lot of the journey here, but there's one more thing to go. Yep. The top ten shootout. Yep. Been in a shootout in your time. You know the drill. You've listened to the pod before, so you kind of know what the, the go is. It's word association. I'll say something. You give me the first word. You can use two or three if it helps, yep. but see how you go. And if you need to make a qualifying remark to explain yourself, feel free. Okay. James Courtney. Um, yeah, great, mate. Jack Daniels. Um. Yeah, great brand, fantastic it's the brand. brand, isn't yeah, it? It's, it's, a, it's worldwide. Yeah, just on that, the coolest thing I did when we raced, um, the coolest thing we should have done when we raced in Bahrain, when we had to get rid of the advertising, Perkins is in the same amount of letters as Daniel, but we had to put Jack lives here. Yeah, that's I right. I wish we did the Jack Perkins. Oh on yeah, on the side of the car, that would have been quite cool to have a model of that. But didn't know. think of that, did you? Well, you could make a model of anything. Yeah, these you, days. Can. you yep. can do whatever you like. Mark Scaife. Um, what my Mark's case a legend. Mm. Paul Morris, the dude. Um, funny. Bathurst. Ultimate. Greg Murphy. Um, uh, Murph's a, a great guy. Um, I'm struggling to think of one word, but um, 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 what's a good word for Murph? He's just another great guy, a great mate. Russell Ingle. Russell Ingle, um, yeah, I mean, you you can't. Um, You're not going good with the one worth it no, here, I'm are not, you? No, I thought I'd be really good at this, having listened to him over the years on your podcast. Um, I mean, the enforcer. There you go. Now you're rolling. Koanji. Farm. Tim Slade. Good mate. Larry Perkins. Dad. <laughs> I figured that's probably what you were gonna say. We'll we'll let you uh we'll let you slide with that one. Mate, thank you. It's been really cool to sit down and talk about your career, where you've been, what you've done. Uh we've mowed through piles of questions. Normally with our guests we don't get through this many. Um we're as a team here, we're loving doing the book with you. For those listening, um it's due out later in the year. It's about all the Perkins engineering cars. Normally in our world, we write our own books, but we couldn't do this book without you. The records that you and your dad and your team have kept, the stories you've got, the bits you've already gone and sleuthed elsewhere, um, you could probably add author to your list of things here. TV bloke, race car driver, mechanic, author. The way you're going, it's 
it's uh, you've been sending through some words and <laughs> it's the jack it, of all trades yeah. master of none he's yeah, <laughs> been doing it for years don't tell anyone the secret jack perkins a pleasure thanks for joining us on the pod good to catch up with you and um lunch is on you next time <laughs> no thanks news and i do just want to say thank you to everyone that's helped me get to this stage we didn't touch on too much of the development series, but I do want to thank um, Ben Eggleston, who I know will be listening. He loves your podcast. So Ben and, and Rachel Eggleston, their support of me has been fantastic over the years. And everyone else that's helped me along the way, we've given most of them a run throughout. I thank you very much. And you know what? We're going to do this again down the track because there's still plenty of chapters to add. So the bits that we missed on the way through this one, we'll get to the next one down the track. Good stuff, mate. Thank you. And a big thanks to Jack Perkins for stepping into V8 Sleuth HQ and sitting down and talking for the pod. A bunch of great stories there and a bunch of things that I'd forgotten about from along the way and a few things that we'd overlooked and didn't know. I think that was a really enlightening chap. Don't forget to head to our online bookshop. The website address is bookshop.v8sleuth.com.au. You can pre-order the Perkins Engineering Car History book from the website. It will be a limited print run. We sell out of these books, so if you put your money down now and you pre-order it, then you will definitely not miss out when it's all said and done later in the year. Sign up too to our newsletter, v8sleuth.com.au. You get, well, we do usually two a week with all the links to our latest stories and some offers as well. You get advised through being on that mailing list of all of our new products before anybody else does. And, of course, you can follow us on the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, other places to find us. In the meantime, we're done. Another episode of the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Repco's In The Books. Join us every Tuesday for Repco Supercars Weekly. And next week, next Wednesday, a very special guest. We'll chat to you then. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out.